welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. We are looking at our part three in our money series. So we've looked at the principle of storing up treasures in heaven and also the principle of tithing. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the principle of the first or the first fruits. And as I've been going along this, it's been really interesting because as we talk about finances, it's not really about finances or money. It's actually about lordship, um, the lordship of God in our lives. Because if Jesus really is the Lord of our life, We're never going to have an issue when someone talks about money or finances and giving into the kingdom of God because God has everything anyway if he is truly the Lord of our life. So as I go on, we are talking about finances and money, but really more so we are talking about lordship. Who really is the Lord in our lives? And Matthew 6.24 makes it incredibly clear. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either we, he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Absolutely clear cut um, in Scripture. Jesus was being so black and white. We're going to serve one or the other, In this world, you've got to serve somebody. Who is it going to be? So it really is about lordship. And so as I'm going to be talking about first fruits, more so I'm talking about the lordship of God in our lives. Before I go any further, who's been really encouraged by this series on money? And you've really been excited to learn more and to give more? Hands up. I want to give you a book. Robbie, are you a good? Here we go. All right, let's have a look at Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 10. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. This is just an incredible sermon already. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with the wealth, your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. It's just an incredible paragraph, but um, just 9 and 10 again. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your, so it's cause and effect. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. It's an incredible promise. Either the Bible is false or it's true. God does not lie. We know that it's the truth. So we can stand upon the promises um, in the Word of God and actually live by them and really grab a hold of them and faithfully stand upon them and see some incredible things in our life. And this is no exception. Honor the Lord with your wealth 
and with the first fruits of all your produce, then he's going to bless us. So what does it mean, first fruits? Because it's not something you ever hear. Like We don't ever talk about first fruits, um, but what does it actually mean? So first fruits, the root of that word simply means first or beginning or best. First beginning or best. So first fruits was a sacrificial offering in the Old Testament that was brought into the house of the Lord. And we haven't got time to go into it, but there is so much on the first fruits and offering first fruits to the Lord, a sacrificial offering, free will offering to him. It went into the house of the Lord or the temple of the Lord. One, um, one you can look at, and all of our notes are on the Bible app, by the way. Um, so you can just look on that, go to mobile data, click on location, um, and go to like the extra on the Bible app, and you'll be able to find our, our notes there. So Nehemiah 10 verse 5 talks about that. Um, also, first fruits, I believe, is putting God first in time, order, and importance. What we do with our first speaks of what is the most important in our lives and is an accurate indicator of who or what is Lord of our life. So just like our wallets is an incredible indicator, it's the litmus test of really who we serve in this world and who is the Lord of our life. I really do believe um, the principle of first fruits, what we do first in our life, and I'll be talking about firsts in our life, what we do, what, who we give the first part of areas in our life to really is an incredible indicator. It shows who is the Lord of our life. And it gets real quiet when you ever talk about this because I think the Holy Spirit's starting to do stuff. Um, he's been working on me so strongly um, through this whole series. So as we talked about tithing a few weeks ago and I talked about the law of first mention, whenever something's mentioned first in the Bible, it's incredibly important because the rest of that theme throughout Scripture, it's, it's built upon that, that foundation of the law of first mention. Um, so we're going to be looking at the first mention of this whole giving first or, or the, the offering, the first and the best to the Lord. So it goes right back to Genesis chapter 4, verses 2, which is Cain and Abel. And a lot of us know this story well, but um, we want to sort of dig deeper into it this morning. It's the first ever worship service recorded in Scripture was when Cain and Abel actually gave an offering to the Lord. It's the first offering um, other than God having to cover um, Adam and Eve with skins. Um, this is the first offering that, that humans did. In the Bible, we pick up the story, Genesis 4, verse 2. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Remember that word, some. Some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. So both Cain and Abel bring an offering to the Lord. Cain brings some of his vegetarian produce, but it wasn't the first, it wasn't the best, it was just some. It was like sort of, yeah, I'll, I'll give God some of my life as an offering, but I'm not going to give him the best. I'm not going to give him all. I'm not going to give him the first part. It wasn't really costly to Cain. I don't think he cried over giving a few carrots to the Lord as an offering. So it wasn't like um, on God's terms, it was an offering on 
Cain's terms. It was just some, it was like an, just something that he did. It didn't cost him, it wasn't sacrificial. But in stark contrast, we look at Abel, who brought the best part of the firstborn of his flock. It cost him. It involved a death in his life. And if you're an animal lover like me, uh, just imagine if you're in uh, Abel's sorry, um, predicament where he knows he wants to give God the best, but he's got these, these lambs and he knows there is going to be a costly death in his life. Sacrificial giving, it involves a death in your life. It's worship. It's giving God all. It's wholehearted. It's, it's all or nothing. And we hear, see here the very, very first instance of an offering in the Bible. It was some and all. It was no cost and it was all the cost. Which is really, really challenging again. And as a result, Cain is upset. He's very angry, looks dejected. Then in verse 6, why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. So God, as a loving father, is continually trying to disciple us. He loves us. He fathers us. So he's giving Cain um, an, an opportunity to, to get his heart right. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. It's interesting what was happening in the altar spilled out into the rest of Cain's life. So you think that it's just a talking about the offering and how to do it and the sacrificial offering, but then God makes a connection of how our heart is with God and what we sacrificially give will spill out over our, into our everyday life. It has an effect. So God starts talking about sin and, and watching out for temptation in our life. I love how Bruce Wilkie, he says this, Cain's failure at the altar leads to his failure in the field. Theology and ethics are inseparable. It's a good quote. So it's the, the principle of first fruits, giving God the first, which is giving God the best. It's always connected with lordship in our life. Uh, but most of us, you know, our currency isn't like potatoes and, and vegetables now. You don't go to the gas station and fill up and just like give them some grapes. It's like, yeah. Uh, we don't, it's not our currency, whereas in the old days, in the Old Testament, produce and, and, and all that was. It was commodity, it was currency. But in our life, in the 21st century, how does this principle of first fruits um, work in our lives? And I think when you really boil it down, our greatest currency and commodity, there's two things, money and time. The, the greatest things that we have um, in life, what we trade with, what our current, like what we, how we do life, it's our money and it's our time. So therefore, it's you don't need to be a rocket scientist to understand this principle of first fruits. It's not just a principle in the Bible; it's a principle in our life for today. But not so much produce and vegetables. It's more about our time and our money. So how how can we apply this to our lives? There's four areas that I want to talk about this morning. Number one. Giving God the first part of your week. So the early church, we know that they gathered together in the temple and synagogues, but somewhere along the line, they started to gather together on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, to worship God. And we see this um, in the New Testament, a couple of references, 1 Corinthians 16 verse 1 and Acts 20 verse 7 specifically says that the early church was meeting on 
a Sunday, the first day. And Justin Martyr, he was a Christian apologist. He was a historian around 150 AD. He, He writes this. On the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together in one place and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read. Sunday is the day on which we hold our common assembly because it is the first day on which God, having wrought a change in the darkness and matter, made the world and Jesus Christ, our Saviour, on the same day rose from the dead. So if we understand the principle of first fruits and giving God the first part, which is giving God the best part as a sacrificial offering to Him, it makes sense that we give God the very first part of our week, which is Sunday, which is why we're here today, gathering as His people to worship and to glorify Jesus. We're giving God the very first part of our week because we know how important that is if He truly is the Lord of our life. But It's so heartbreaking today. We're living in a time where more and more believers, we're not just talking about unbelievers. Once upon a time, it was historical and normal, even if you were an unbeliever, to still go to church on a Sunday. But we're living in a time where more and more believers are just thinking, well, it's not important to go to church anymore. I can be a church, I can be a believer in my heart, but I don't have to to gather together with his people. But the Bible says in Hebrews 10 25, let us not neglect our meeting together as some are. in the habit of doing, well, some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. We're closer to the return of Jesus than we ever have been. Therefore, if we wanna be people that agree with and live by the Word of God, we should be gathering together more regularly and more frequently and loving the house of the Lord. But nowadays, they've sort of changed the metrics and, and the survey Surveys of church attendance, they say now, if you want to be a regular attender, you turn up at church once a month. It's like, come on. Just imagine if you're in a football team and just get, you turned up to play a game once a month. It wouldn't fly. So I was toying with reading out a quote, and you don't have to, you don't have to be angry at me this morning. You can be angry at the person who wrote the quote. It wasn't me. I found it on Facebook. And then I was going to re, re, like, reshare it, but then I'd, I've been in trouble so often for that. So... Parents that treat the church as optional shouldn't be surprised when their children treat Jesus as unnecessary. Parents that treat the church as optional shouldn't be surprised when their children treat Jesus as necessary. Which makes it my responsibility as a parent to role model how important the house of God is and giving God the very first part of the week by coming together and gathering together like we're doing. I'm actually, this isn't a sermon for you guys because you were here this morning. I should be preaching this to people that aren't here this morning. (laughs) How does that work? Maybe you're watching. I don't know. The first part of your week. Number two, the first part of your day, giving God the first part. And again, just need to look at mourning in the Scripture. And you see right throughout the Bible, godly men and women would give God the very first part of their day. It's a principle of first fruits. Psalm 5 verse 3, Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning 
I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. Psalm 88 verse 13. But I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. Psalm 119, 147. I rise early before the sun is up. I cry out for help and put my hope in your words. Jesus modeled this. Mark 1 verse 35. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Now, I have wrestled and debated with getting up in the morning my whole entire life because I've been a night person most of my life until God really started to challenge me. And I would say, well, God spent, you know, Jesus was talking to God throughout the day. We can do that. I don't have to wake up early. Um, because if I was to wake up early, I would just be asleep for the first part anyway, so I wouldn't be giving God the best anyway. And then God started to really challenge me and said, Simon, well, it really is the principle of first fruit. Why don't you just try going to bed earlier? And really, that was the, the problem. I wanted to live the way I wanted, and I wanted to squeeze Jesus into the place in my day that I wanted him to be squeezed into. And he really started to challenge me on this, giving God the first part of my week, giving God the very first part of my day, which meant going to bed a little bit earlier. And by the grace of God, this has become a habit in my day. I can't remember the last time that I woke up with an alarm. God just wakes up now and I'm really excited about spending that first part of the day with the Lord. I won't even go, and this is a little challenge I've made to myself, won't look at anything else on my phone at all. Do nothing else. Maybe go to the toilet first. Uh, I'll do that when I first wake up. But other than that, get into the Word of God and just spend that first part, the best part of the day with my Lord and Saviour, because it really shows lordship in our life. The first part really shows lordship. It is the best part, the first part of your week, the first part of your day. Number three, the first part of your finances. So really, like we're talking about money, but we're really not talking about money. We're talking about lordship. So the first part of your finances. And I shared a quote, actually, yeah, as, as I was talking about how, how can I say, God, you're the first in my life when I put God the last in my finances? It just it doesn't work that way. Uh, so the first part of your finances, Proverbs 3 verse 9, we'll read it out again. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And you read that and you think, wow, that's an incredible promise. But you think, well, I just can't afford that because this world, it's like everything, like the inflation and cost is through the roof. And we can't work this out. How God does this, we really can't work it out in our brains. It just doesn't compute. Because on paper, you know, it really doesn't, but God just comes and he does some incredible things in our lives with our finances. It goes back, if you just want to read a few verses prior to that, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. You won't be able to work this out with your own understanding. It's saying, God, you have everything. You have my finances. You have all of me. I can't work this out on paper. This isn't going to work out, but I'm going to give you the first part of my finances. And like I shared a few weeks ago, biblically, it's, it's bringing the tithe into the storehouse, which is the house of God, the local church. And it's, it's really cool nowadays. We're living in a time where this is actually really easy for us. 
Because there is such a thing now as automatic payments that you can set something up and it just goes out straight away. You don't have to really think about it. It's just like, yeah, I can do this. We can do it really easily now in our world. We can very easily give God the first part, the best part of our finances into the local church, automatic payment, and it's done. You don't have to really think about it. Isn't that cool? I remember once uh, a preacher said, well, it's good to have real money and because when you give an offering to God, you can have it in your hand. And it's like I was thinking, I've always thought, man, I haven't got any cash on me um, and I've usually spent it anyway if I've got some cash in my pocket. But nowadays with automatic payment, it's just done. So I challenge you guys, it's, it's so, oh, I encourage you guys more. It's so easy. Automatic payments. Is that cool? First part of your week the first part of your day, the first part of your finances. And we, and we can share a whole lot more. I'm, I'm really big on giving thanks to God when we eat because it's like acknowledging God in your meals. It's like, God, this is because of you. We thank you. First part of what we do with church, we turn up early and on time because we want to give God the very best part of our church service. <laughs> it's good preaching. They were praying in the prayer meeting this morning that, that Simon wouldn't be ashamed to preach about money, that we wouldn't be ashamed as a church to talk about it. So it's like, awesome. I'm not going to apologize. <laughs> Lastly, going to the throne of grace and mercy first. Now, where do we go first? Like the very first place we go to when we're, we go through a trial and, and, and things just it's just crazy and you don't understand and you're heartbroken or when you fall or when you trip up or where you stumble, where is the first place that we go? Because once again, it is an indicator of who really is Lord in our life. When, when everything hits the fan, what do we do first? Do we run away from God? Do we hide from Him? When we, when we struggle, when we stumble, are we so ashamed? It's like we, we hide from God like Adam did in the Garden of Eden, or do we run to Him? Is God the first person that we run to in times of trial, times of, of, of failure? Hebrews 4, verse 14 to 16. This is becoming one of my, I love this, these, these verses. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Do we have any idea the power of the truth in that verse? Let us come boldly to the throne. And it's in our weakness. Like God understands our struggle. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will. It's going to happen. We will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. We all go through trying times. Let us run to the throne of our gracious God first, not second or third or last. So those are just four areas about this principle of first fruits. And I'm, I'm, I'm really big on this, as you can see. These principles, God put them in place. 
And as we put God first, as we seek Him first, Matthew 6, everything else is going to be taken care of in our life. But it's a question of lordship. So finishing off and getting back to that lordship theme, Isaiah 6, verse 1 to 8. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. So Isaiah is having this incredible vision of of the temple of God, and they're worshiping. Whenever we have an encounter with the presence of God, usually what happens is we become very aware of our frailties and our shortcomings, and this is what happened to Isaiah. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. And I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. So he had a vice. He had a struggle. We all have struggles. And in that presence of God, maybe this is a reason why people stay away from the house of God, because they want to run away, because they don't want to be confronted with the sin that's in their own life. And with Isaiah, we don't know if he had a problem with blasphemy or bad language or what, but he became aware of his sin. When we're in the presence of God, and if we're truly honest, we become aware of our sin. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. This is before Jesus' uh, blood was spilt for us. Um, he touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. So in that place, obviously he had a contrite and repented heart and straight away, Jesus, God, forgave him. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to his people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. And I love this because it's a picture of a frail person, a broken person, and he has this incredible encounter with God. He is under, understands his sin. He gets forgiven of his sin and straight away saying, God, I'm gonna go. From someone who felt like, woe is me to some saying, God, I'm gonna take responsibility. I want you to have all of my life. And I love that. And, and, and God's never stopped saying that. Who will go for us? Is our response, here I am, send me. If we can have the band up, would be awesome. So I've read that and I've preached on that scripture a lot of times in my life. There's something I haven't realized until recently, uh, that very first verse, it says, it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. And, and the Holy Spirit's very specific when he inspired the Bible writers to write things down. Why did that line, why was that there before God talks or inspires um, Isaiah to, to write all about this incredible encounter? What was, it, what was significant about King Uzziah? I really do believe that the readers that read this would have understood that they needed to make a comparison with Uzziah and comparison compared to what Isaiah happened, Isaiah and Uzziah, a bit confusing, but different people. So we need to have a look at a little bit of the backstory into Uzziah to understand the comparison here. So 2 Chronicles 26, verse 3, Uzziah 
was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. Uzziah sought God during the days of Zechariah, who taught him to fear God. And as long as the king sought guidance from the Lord, God gave him success. So, so far, so good. Uzziah is a godly man. He's been discipled. He's been trained up in the things of God. He's pleasing God with his life. Then something happens in verse 16. But when he had become powerful, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. He sinned against the Lord his God by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the incense altar. It was not the king's place to do that. It was the priest's place to burn incense on the altar. But he just started wanting to worship God in his own way. Uzziah made God in his own image and wanted to worship God and wanted to live for God and wanted to serve God the way he wanted to, not the way God wanted him to. And it was over 80 priests rushed in and said, Uzziah, you can't do this. They pleaded with him to repent and to turn his heart around. Again, an opportunity to get his life right, but he became angrier and angrier. God judged him, gave him leprosy, and he was isolated for the rest of his life, lost his influence. For the rest of his life. And so that's very, very interesting when you read in that verses uh, in Isaiah 6. It was the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. Uzziah was worshiping in the temple of the Lord. Isaiah had an incredible vision of the temple of the Lord. Isaiah became contrite and, and repentant and said, God, woe is me. I, I've got sin in my life. But because of his repentant heart, God forgave him and sent him on a mission. He said, God, however you want me to worship you, my whole entire life is yours. I truly surrender all. But Uzziah came into the house of God, into the temple of God, and made God in his own image and worshiped God in his own way. And when he was confronted with his sin, he just became angrier and harder at God. So, which are we this morning? Are we Uzziah? Or are we Isaiah? Are we saying, God, you're the Lord of my life and I surrender all, I give everything to you. Or are we like Uzziah who says, God, yeah, I believe in you and I'm a Christian, but I'm still the Lord of my life. I know that's, that's a hard word, but it's a, a, a relevant word and it is such a timely word for us. If you haven't noticed lately, Aotearoa, New Zealand, we need help. The churches need to be filled with godly people again. We need to be worshiping God with our whole entire lives, saying, God, here am I. Send me, use me. I don't care what you want to do with me, God. I am yours. I'm yours wholeheartedly. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.